Hey everyone, welcome to the Ignite the Word podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Joseph Hall. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to the very first episode of Ignite the Word. And today I'm interviewing my good friend, Ben Corson, uh, the best-selling author of Optimisfits and the founder of Hope Generation. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to the uh, Ignite the Word podcast, and today I'm really excited. Um, I have my friend Ben Corson on with us. Um, he is from out west, and you're just going to love him. So, uh, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Dude, thank you so much. I, I, I love your personality. You're so warm. You're so sunny, just like Florida. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Um, so, uh, uh, Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, and where you're from? Yeah, so I live in Oregon. Um, it's really beautiful. You get, like, very vibrant falls. You get fresh springs. You get hot summers. You get some snow days in the, in the uh, winter as well. And uh, it, you get waterfalls, white, like, moonlight on snow. It's just, it's beautiful. Awesome. And I actually split my time between here and, like, Los Angeles, uh, Orange County area. Oh, no. Um, and uh, just, just because I do a lot of TV stuff. So, um, yeah, so I, I have this thing called Hope Generation that I run, and it's our TV show that airs in 180 countries on almost 20 networks and uh, on 413-ish radio stations, too. Oh, that's incredible. So, um, and, and, yeah, and I wrote a book called Optimistfits, and then I just travel around and speak, and I'm based out of a church called Applegate Christian Fellowship, and that's kind of my whole life right there. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um uh, yeah, I, I, why don't you tell us a little bit about Hope Generation? Um, I love the name of that, of, of, of that, because um, we, we especially need a lot of hope, especially in times like now. Yeah, well, it's really actually a pun. So um, I want to see our generation having hope because right now, this is this is so this like drives me, dude. Is around <laughs> the world, once every forty seconds, somebody will kill themselves. There are 123 suicides per day. Man, that's horrible. Um, I mean, the, 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 the statistics are nuts. For our age group, suicide was the second leading cause of death. Second leading cause of death in 2017. Wow. So, seeing these statistics, and, and my good friend Jared um, passed away due to suicide. Dude, I, I, I remember that. Um, I actually connected yeah. with Jared um, a few years back um, over uh, Facebook. And I had reached out to him um, just about, honestly, about um, writing because uh, I know he was uh, he was a great writer, a great author, and he was so always he was always so willing um, to um, to respond to even the people on social media that he didn't know that asked him questions, and we got connected that way. And um, he was even helped design my book cover at one time, um, and I, and I was I was I was uh, I was broken when I heard. Even though I never met Jared in person, but I followed his ministry, and I was I was broken when I heard about that. Yeah, and and, and the, I mean, I was talking to his family the day the day it happened, like before it happened, and and I had no idea. Uh, I don't think anybody did. No, I don't that, think anyone that this did. This was what was going on, and and so, um, dude, that's what drives me, and that's what Hope Generation is all about. It's about giving hope to our generation. But not just like a, a like a gross domestic like global generational mindset. Although that's part of it, it's also very individual. So I want it to be very personal to people to give them head knowledge and heart strength. Oh and yeah, like soul healing balm. And so that that generation can also mean creation. 
like you generate power at a power plant. So oh, cool. uh, hope generation is also like hope creation. Like we're generating hope in people's hearts. Man, that, that is something that is much needed. I tell you, um, I know when speaking of suicide, I know, um, when I was a senior in high school, I had a friend, um, take his life. And then a few years later I had a coworker cause I used to work at home Depot, um, as well. Uh, before I went into full-time ministry and I had a coworker, um, uh, we, we were working one night and had no, no idea that night he went home and it's, we need hope. Uh, I, I was actually talking about hope with, um, some of our other pastors, um, this week actually, and uh, talking about what our church's theme is going to be this year, which is, uh, Jesus Christ, our living hope. Um, and it's, I, I think, I think one thing that I think is really interesting about this like pandemic is um, I heard a statistic somewhere, I can't remember where I heard it, about how many people are actually like searching now um, and tuning into online services and uh, people are, are searching for hope. Well, online church attendance has increased by 500% since COVID-19. Man, that is wild. I saw, um, I, I know you speak at Great Glory's Church um, every now and then. I saw him post something the other day about their online attendance. I, I was blown away by that number. That was amazing. Oh, yeah. They have like over a million people. That'll, this is something like like one of their services recently had over a million people tune in, I'm pretty sure. It's and, just crazy. It's crazy. Think situation. about, too, like, I wonder if that's just counting, like, how many screens are connected, but not how many people are behind each screen. It could be. Well, and, and President Trump tuned in as well. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. Greg's been an amazing, amazing friend at uh and I love what Harvest is doing over there. Yeah, they're crushing. They really are, dude. They really are. I, I just thought that statistic, man, is, is mind-blowing. Even, we've even seen an increase in our online activity um, here at our church. Here, um, I'm, 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 the, I'm actually the youth pastor here at Mortal Life Ministries uh, in Okeechobee. And we average, on average, probably, I would say 300, 350 to 400 and some people a week. Um, well, well, before the pandemic. And, we, and our online activity has been honestly really encouraging to see people tuning in and people that um that that wouldn't normally come to a physical church have been tuning in not only to us but like i've i've seen that everywhere like there's been people connecting um so it's just really cool to see how how the lord can um even in a time of of social distancing he's bringing people together yeah and i love what paul said about that he said to be absent or he said not only to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, but he said, even though I'm not with you in body, I'm with you in spirit. So I kind of picture it's like force ghosts hovering over Corinth, like Yoda, cross-legged, <laughs> just like fuzzy apparition, you know, uh, hovering over them. That's oh, kind of yeah. how I pictured in my weird caricature, you know, imagination of that text. But honestly, dude, the thing I want to encourage people with is, is in this time of social distancing, it doesn't have to be social isolation. And in this time... A pandemic, we don't have to panic. It's that we can be productive. So, like, if you look at, in the, at the year 1606, William Shakespeare was living in England, and there was a disease and a plague that spread throughout England, so he had to self-quarantine and shelter in place. Oh, yeah. While he was self-quarantined, he wrote Macbeth, King Lear, and Antony and Cleopatra. Wow. So, during his quarantine, he wrote these masterpieces. Paul the Apostle, quarantined in prison. What did he do? He wrote Philemon, yeah. Philippians, and Colossians all in one fell swoop in one, in one bout. You Man. look at Bob Dylan, who released a single during the coronavirus at the age of 78 years old, and guess what? It was his first number one single in his entire career. That's incredible. That he both wrote and performed. So 
I, I, I like to tell people this is a good time to be productive. You know, Adolf yeah. Hitler wanted to be an artist, but it was a, it was evidently easier for him to start World War II than to face a canvas. Wow. So I know there are those forces of resistance that will keep us from our craft, but now we have a whole lot of time on our hands to really invest blood, sweat, toil, and tears into our craft, and, and, and we can be productive. Dude, I think you're. I think I need to finish another book then, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, dude, now's the time. You just, you just Start writing more. And I'm so proud of you. But, but we might as well keep going. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it sounds like quarantine can actually be more productive. Um, I mean, honestly, less distractions for me. <laughs> Though I do have a, a four-year-old and a, um, almost two-year-old at home, so it can get pretty wild at home. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing. is like I, So I kind of, um, on TV the other day, I shared this, but the three Ps for quarantine. One is, one is productivity. The second one is uh, is peacefulness. Like, oh yeah, you, know, you remember the children of Israel? They had to go through um, seven years of captivity under the Babylonians, Medes, Chaldees, Persians. And the reason they went through seventy years of captivity is because they um, weren't taking their Sabbath year. So once every seven years, they were supposed to take a Sabbath year and let the ground lie fallow and not exploit the soil. But they didn't do this for four hundred ninety years, so they had to make up for it that 70 years of being in captivity where they were forced to rest. And in the same way, David said, you make me to lie down in green pastures. And I think sometimes the Lord forces us to rest. He forces oh, us yeah. to practice peacefulness. If we, won't, if we won't take the Sabbath that he's, um, you know, in the Old Testament commanding and the New Testament recommending. Yeah. Uh, but, but also, the interesting thing is, like, Jesus, remember, he made clay on the Sabbath, which was illegal. It was considered work to put it in the guy's eyes so that the blind man could see uh, when he spit in the dirt. And for 400 years, the Jews, the Israelis, they were making clay on the Sabbath with no, with, with or, pardon me, they were making clay for Pharaoh's pyramid with no Sabbath. And so Jesus, when he made clay on the Sabbath, was saying, all works so you can rest. And I think that's how it is. Like, sometimes when we're forced to rest, that's when God goes to work. But when we try to do all the work, that's when God rests because he doesn't want us to finish in, you know, pure self-effort what he has begun by grace. Oh, yeah, so for sure. I think productivity is real, like effort animated by the Spirit. But so is peacefulness. And the third thing I like to tell people, the third P during this quarantine to practice is prayer. Like Jesus said, go in your prayer closet. Now we're forced to, dude. Like we're forced <laughs> Literally, to we are forced to. <laughs> and when, when Aaron, the, the high priest, the brother of Moses, was suffering a, about a disease in the camp of Israel, watching it engulf the land of the, the Hebrews, what he did is God told him to take a live coal off the altar to put it in a sensor that would contain it, and as the incense floated up to God, so too his intercessory prayer floated up to the heavens, and the, the disease stopped, and the land was healed. And so Man. too, in Chronicles, God says in the context of disease, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, I'll heal their land. Yeah. And so now our time, we have extra time to pray. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, when the Israelites were quarantined due to a death angel that was passing through the land, uh, they weren't allowed to leave their home overnight. And uh, so what they were forced to do is they had to cook a lamb and keep the lamb on fire in their house. And I think we need to keep the lamb of God in fire on fire in our own houses. Oh, that's good. That is that's through prayer, good. Through peacefulness and through productivity. Yeah. Dude, I remember, um, so a while back, um, we do small, uh, our small group ministry at our church is called uh, SALT Groups. Um, it stands for um, Serving and Living Together. Uh, basically doing life together. And 
and uh, my salt group that I do at my house, um, it's, it's a lot of, it's mostly other married couples with little kids. And we decided to do, I don't know if you've read it yet. Have you read John Mark Comer's new book, um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry? Um, yeah, so I read his book, I read his book Garden City, and I, and I uh, was able to look over Ruthless Elimination of Hurry as well, and it's so, so Dude, good. it was so good. We were at the tail end of the study. Uh, when this pandemic happened, and we're all like, well, we get to put to practice now what we've been reading about, eliminating hurry out of our lives. And um, I also want to read, um, I started reading the other day, Jefferson Bethke's uh, To Hell with the Hustle. Um, I don't know, that, that, that idea of hurry has been, um, I don't know, it's running rampant in our culture, and it's almost like God's hitting the brakes on our culture telling people to slow down. Well, we're always complaining, like, oh, we're so busy, we don't have any time, you know, and God's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I'll give you plenty you know, of time. And, and, and I'll give you plenty of time. And Hippocrates, the, the philosopher and metaphysician and doctor from 2,400 years ago, he used to call the sickness and plague a divine disease, and I don't agree with that. Like, I don't think the disease is divine. I think it's the enemy, the thief, who comes to steal, to kill. Yeah, to for destroy. sure. However, I think that what's meant for evil can be divinely redeemed, mm-hmm. and I think that God can use something even evil and destructive like the coronavirus, and he can redeem it for the good by actually causing us to have more time where we can be peaceful, productive, and prayerful. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I, I think I definitely believe the Lord's going to use this this time to draw people to himself. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I feel like the um, God is preparing the church in a way. Um, I'm, and I'm praying that it's gonna, this is going to usher in the next great awakening of, of, a, of a global revival of people just all over the world coming to Jesus. That's what I'm praying for. Well, the, the, the struggle has, you know, I think you have a point about the struggle has a way of being a catalyst and impetus to get us out of our bubble. Like the struggle gets us out of our bubble. And great things really don't usually come from comfort zones. You just look at history. Yeah. Um, so, so the fact of the matter is, like, in Acts 1, the book starts out with Jesus telling his disciples they're to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the Adamus, and the Earth. These are, these are young Hebrew boys, like yeah. teenagers, maybe young 20s, um, maybe young 30s, whatever. But, but these are young Jewish guys who are used to living in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, actually, you're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and the Adamus, and the Earth, along with Jerusalem. But that's in Acts 1. If you fast forward to Acts 8, seven chapters later, where are they? They're still in Jerusalem. They're still there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so they hadn't left, but persecution started. The government started persecuting Christians. So what happened? They were forced to spread to where? Judea, Samaria, Bottomus, and the earth. That's so right. The truth is, like struggle, persecution, pestilence, disease, trials have a way of, of pushing us toward our destiny. So the struggle gets us out of our bubble. Bubble. Now I know that's a bit inverted because right now we're all forced indoors. For us, it was the other way around. Like <laughs> we were spreading so much and so busy, so now we're forced indoors. But but I do believe that struggle has a way of forcing us out of our bubble in the sense of our comfort zone is vacated. We lose sight of the shore when we set up for new horizons, and sometimes it's pain that actually catalyzes us and galvanizes us into our destiny. Oh, for sure. I mean, you think about it, like we're we're fortunate with the day and age that we're that we're alive with technology. Even though we are stuck at home, man, we can we can be, like it's just like Greg Lord's statistics. We can be reaching people all over the world. I mean, two thousand years ago, you, uh, unless you were physically with someone, you couldn't like call them over the phone. Or I mean, can you imagine the apostles having cell phones? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it, 
you know, I think people like you, you're, you, when you talk about this online reach that's happening right now, you have this way of reaching people through your book, through your youth group, through your video ministry, through your sunny personality at these gloomy <laughs> times. And, and we need people like you who are going to be beacons of light and hope. You know, oh, I appreciate that, man. This is the thing. We're so interconnected right now. Um, and, and we have this, these digital platforms where we can reach each other. It, it's crazy. I think you'll like this. But um, there was a farmer who pointed out that trees, if they're lacking nutrients and minerals, they'll actually send signals through their roots to trees, sometimes from far distances away. And those trees that are, that are separated in distance will then send help and aid and nutrients to those trees to feed them with minerals. That's awesome. So, so even though they're far away, they're interconnected. So even though they're physically separated, they're actually integrated in that trees, when they need minerals and resources, will send out signals for help, and trees from distances will then feed those nutrients and minerals uh, to oh, that these, is awesome. these trees that are far away. So that, And then Psalm, the, the book of Psalms says we're like palm trees of Lebanon, uh, or like palm trees and cedar trees of Lebanon. So we, we are like a, a network of trees, and we have our digital network to send aid and help. And just like the Christians of Eld, when there was a disease that was killing 5,000 Romans a day, the Christians brought bread and water. Like, we get to send nutrients, bread, water, hope bites through our digital platforms as well. Man, that is a really cool analogy. I never knew that. That is. Yeah, it's crazy. That is incredible. Um, one other question I have for you, for you, man, is um, I know with with Hope Generation, um, how how, do you, how would you say how could people um, hold on to hope, especially you know during times like this, but also even when you know when this pandemic passes, because it will one day. Um, how how can how can people hold on to hope, whether it's good times or bad times? Well, that's such a great question. That's the billion-dollar question, and I have an answer. <laughs> in the Old Testament, the word for hope in Hebrew refers to being knitted. That's Ooh, what the cool. word etymologically means, knitted. So when our circumstances unravel, our hope doesn't. Why? Because it's knitted to ultimate reality. God, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, even when the vicissitudes of life cause our circumstances to be on a roller coaster. Oh, that's so, good. So just because our hope, uh, or pardon me, our hope doesn't have to be dictated by our circumstances. Rather, our circumstances will be dictated by our hope. Because we're not creatures, we can be creators of our circumstance over time when we choose to send hope into the world. When we choose to have an emanation or an atmosphere of hope around us. It, it, it does change our corner of the world and sphere of influence. The second thing is, the word hope in Hebrew in the Old Testament can also refer to a line. Oh, cool. So... So, so a line. So there's there's a there's always a line, an interval of time between the promise and the fulfillment. So like David was promised that he'd be king, anointed, but he didn't become appointed king until he was thirty, even though he was anointed king at fifteen. So Abraham was promised a child, Isaac, uh, at seventy-five years old, maybe even seventy years old, but it wasn't until he was a hundred in the story that he received the promised child. So he had to wait. Oh yeah, yeah. Years. Paul the Apostle had to train for 14 years in the deserts of Arabia and other places, even though the Lord had called him to minister to kings, Jews, and Gentiles before that. Uh, Joseph was a prisoner before he became prime minister, even though he got his dream at 17 that he'd be exalted to a place of honor. And his brother's sheaves of grain about onto his sheaf of grain, but it wasn't until he was 30 that he pulled the grain out of his dreams and set up a grain distribution program to save many during a famine in Egypt. So, That's so um, true. He, he had to wait 13 years between his... his 
you're receiving of the dream and the fulfillment of the dream. So, so hope means a line. And, and a lot of people lose hope because they're not willing to wait. They're not willing to travel along the line between the promise and the fulfillment. They're not willing to travel that line. Oh, that's of, so good. The that's so true. Time, the distance of time. And, and so, so hope is just faith and trust lengthened. It's just if you take faith and trust, this point particle, and you bring it into string theory, and you, like, spread it out to a line. So you, like, stretch it out. That's what faith, that's what hope is. It's faith and trust lengthened into a line, not just a single point. So that's where waiting comes in. And then the third thing is, in the New Testament, the word for hope in Greek is LPs, and it means joyful, confident, welcome. The kind of hope I'm talking about is the joyful confidence whereby we welcome the miracles of God into our life that is not contingent on our promise, our problems but on, rather, it's predicated upon the over 3,500 promises that we have in the Bible. That's amazing. Dude, that was the billion-dollar answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I'm glad. I'm glad because I'm really passionate about that. That's what I get my life to. Man, you can tell you're passionate about it. That's awesome. And uh, Jesus just radiates through your ministry, man. Um, it's definitely, I, I'm encouraged um, by what God is doing in and through you. Um, just so, like through your social media, through your book. Um, and through um, uh, TBN, when you're on TBN, it's just really incredible to see what God is doing through you. Well, I love you so much, man, and and I hope we get to continue our friendship. Every time I've seen you, you just, uh, you know, through through the internet, like you just have this way of emanating the presence of God like a lump of sunshine, dude. <laughs> I appreciate and, uh, that, man. Let, let Anything me, good in me is all Jesus. Good. Anything good is all Let's Jesus. Let's go, dude. The Christ dimension <laughs> is strong in you, my friend. I hope it's strong with you. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, man. Um, if, uh, guys, uh, this was Ben Corson. Um, uh, I'm so excited to be able to have him on actually the first episode of this podcast. So um, thank you guys so much for tuning in and, and listening. And um, I want to encourage you to go uh, follow Ben on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and, uh, and also the Hope Generation uh, YouTube channel. Um, you'll be blessed by it. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. God bless you.